Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski, and today we've got an enterprise sales machine. It's Chris Surdy. He was back at Segment Leading Enterprise Sales, then he was at Sourcegraph, and now he's a strategic AM over at Ascend. Nick, why should people listen? Well, one of the toughest parts about navigating an enterprise sale is just that navigating an enterprise sale. Who do you meet with? When do you meet with them? What do you ask for next steps? It's not always straightforward. Sometimes you're running parallel motions. It can be really tough. But we've got a blueprint in this episode for navigating an enterprise sale by partnering with a rising star, which Armand, maybe one day you'll be one of those. So if you want to learn how to navigate a tough enterprise sale, value engineer, etc., this one's a good listen. And a three, a two, a one. Oh, please pick me for American Idol. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with Rocket Reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30MPC 90-Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free. All right, Chris, welcome to the show. We start every single interview with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three. 
Great. Thanks for having me. First one is the analogy can make you. As a salesperson, you want to associate your offering with something that is sort of very benign in nature, right? And very proliferated throughout the environment, right? And so the reason to do that is when you have a meeting with someone, inevitably the boss is going to ask, hey, how is that meeting with company ABC? You want that prospect or champion to turn around and say, oh, it was great. They're just like XYZ. So two examples I have of that is when I was at Segment, we used to say, hey, we are the power grid for data, right? Just like you just plug in your lamp or your iPhone or your computer into the grid and it just works. With Segment, you just plug in Segment and your data just works. That analogy worked for many, many years and ended up helping us close a ton of deals because it was easily digestible, right? And it was something that was ubiquitous that everybody could understand, Today, I'm at Ascend, and we use the analogy that, hey, we're kind of just like self-checkout at the grocery store. Immediately, everybody understands what self-checkout at the grocery store is, and then it's a little subliminal, right? The next time someone's at the grocery store and they, they check out, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, it's kind of like what that guy Chris Surdy said about his company Ascend, right? So it kind of leaves a little mark and impression on the person that they can also, again, communicate directly with their, with their boss or anyone else. Beautiful. What's number two? Number two. Don't forget to salt your water, right? You need as a salesperson to find that unique, special thing that makes you stand out. It is a crowded world out there and you need to make yourself memorable and build a connection with the prospect like no one else, right? And so a couple of examples there is, I'm a big in-person seller. I always like to take people out to lunch. And every single time I take them out to lunch, no matter how many times I've taken them out to lunch, I always order a chicken Caesar salad with extra dressing, extra Parmesan cheese, and extra chicken on the side. Doesn't matter if I've had lunch with them once, twice, three, or 40 times. That's the same thing I'm getting every single time. So they know Chris Surdy, hey, that guy likes chicken Caesar salad, right? Round us out. What's number three? You're an investigator understand motives. When a detective is investigating a crime, the question they always ask themselves is, what is the motive? At the end of the day, as a salesperson, you are an investigator. And sure, you're going to ask questions why, right, saying the rule number 12. But what you want to do is you want to get deeper. You want to understand what are the motives of the company, right? What are the motives that they're trying to, or the C-level priorities that they're trying to solve? And are they motivated by those C-level priorities? And then just as important, you want to understand the motives of the champion themselves. Are they a, a, a sort of a tech person who's trying to make a name? for themselves, right? Or are they just trying to align to whatever their bonus is so they can get the biggest, fattest bonus at the end of the year, right? Understanding and aligning to those will help you enable your champion to be successful. So Chris, some common discovery wisdom that we hear is you should be looking for business priorities, executive priorities. Don't focus on below the line or process problems. Focus on big P&L, board level problems. But the reality is sometimes the champion might not care about those things, right? They might care about their own promotion. They might still get promoted if the company misses earnings for the next three quarters in a row. So you get onto a discovery call with a champion. How do you balance or prioritize finding business priorities versus finding their priorities? So you have to qualify based on pain, gain, and compelling event, right? And so, yeah, that's med pick stuff. Everybody knows that. But I think the difference here is having more of a point of view on where is the industry going and are you and your company keeping up? right? How do you position yourself as a thought leader? Don't be arrogant about it. Don't come over the top. 
it's, you know, Hey, we've, we've been in this space for quite a bit of time. Here's what we're seeing. You mentioned that the pain you're trying to solve is this. It's very common. I've heard that just last week I was talking to somebody and they mentioned this, how we're solving for that is like, is this particular way, but it's not just us who are solving that. It seems to be a sort of thread or sort of trend that's moving towards this in your industry. Is that something that you or your company care about? Right. And if they do care about it, right, it's a qualifying question for the champion, but as well as, as for the deal itself. If they don't care about it, frankly, you might not have the right ICP, right? You might not have the right idea, you know, customer, ideal customer profile. And you might want to go around that person, right? Or go below or above that person. Um, or what I like to call the sandwich tactic. So let's talk about that a little bit more. So let's assume that you're getting these lukewarm answers and you get someone who's just like a knuckle dragger. They're like, oh yeah, Chris, I know that whole digital transformation thing, but you know, uh, maybe we look at it next quarter, next year. Why don't you send me some information? And you just get someone who's dragging their feet. You talk about the sandwich tactic of going Mm -hmm. top and bottom. What does that look like? Yeah. So the sandwich tactic is essentially twofold. You want to get groundswell at the user level, right? You want to get the the tactical practitioners who are actually going to use your software, your technology, whatever offering that you have. You want them to get excited about it and say, hey, this is going to improve my day to day. I'm really excited about this thing and we should take a look at it. We should do a POC. We should run a pilot, things of that nature, right? In tandem and in parallel, you want to go above to the C-level folks, right? The CFO, the CMO, the CIO, or VP levels as well. So senior VPs have a lot of influence, especially nowadays, right? And say, hey, there's a lot of interest from your your day-to-day folks, right? And we noticed that this actually aligns to some of your corporate initiatives. I was reading that you have these five corporate initiatives for this year, and we'd love to run a POC. We'd like to get everybody to come together to understand, you know, is this a tactical benefit and a strategic benefit at the same time? And so what you're doing there is you're sort of sandwiching all those people in the middle, those sort of knuckle draggers, right? Because if the people below them are clamoring for what you want, but you're not being able to get those gates open, that middle manager or that person sort of in the middle, they may pay attention if they care, but if they're not really that invested, they may not pay attention. But the second it comes down to them and say, hey, I heard about this thing. Are you across this? Are you focused on this? Are you paying time and attention to this? Right? Even if they're just there for a paycheck, which is a lot of corporate America, right? They're going to have to pay attention. They're going to have to put some hours and calories into what's going on. And the second that happens, those doors open, those floodgates open. And then it's up to you to prove your POC, right? Then it's up to you to prove your value. And I'm not suggesting as a salesperson that you go around this person. There are tactics and ways to get to the C-level folks that are very benign and sort of non-aggressive. But the reality is if you've given them the opportunity to help you and they don't want to help you, then your job, you need to do your job. Your job as a salesperson is to deliver value and in exchange for that value, get paid for it. Chris, I'm curious if you can talk about your intent in navigating an organization in an enterprise sale. Because very often, you might have an introductory meeting with a a CIO or a CMO, and you've got 30 minutes with that person. And it sounds like you're showing up, you're doing your research to figure out their big initiatives, the meeting goes well. 
Talk to me about how you use that person to help navigate the organization from there. Yep, that's that's a great question. So let's use a CTO as an example. So you have a great meeting with the CTO. We align on corporate initiatives and that the, our solution has, you know, the pain solution that they're looking for, right? I look them straight in the eye and go, who's your rising star? Who's the person that you would bet the company on? Who's the person that you think would be the next CTO of this company over the next 10 to 20 years, whatever it is, right? Oh, that's Susan. Oh, that's Bob. Let me talk to Bob. Let's have a conversation with Susan, right? And let's see if they want to lead the POC. Let's put that person in a position to make an impact and to be a change agent with your organization. I don't want the person who's been there for 15 years, has already made a name for themselves, right? And essentially just there for the paycheck. I want that rising star who's looking to make a change and impact and to align on something that's new and innovative that can really shake things up. But yeah, you want to find the rising star. No champion, no deal. If you don't know that, remember that. No champion, no deal. You want to find who the champion is and you want that champion to be a rising star. Okay, so what's happening here is you're getting this introduction to this rising star who is in the domain of what you help with. And I'm curious about how you run that meeting. You use the CTO to get an introduction. You get on this person's calendar. You show up on the Zoom. You've got a smile on your face. How are you teeing up that meeting? What is your goal in that meeting? Like, what are you trying to accomplish in that interaction? And then if that interaction goes well, where do you propose that you and that rising star take things from there? Yeah, those are great questions. First of all, if I'm getting an introduction from the CTO, I'm going to propose an in-person meeting. You already have the political capital to ask for that. And in-person selling is 150,000 times better than Zoom selling. I know we've all been used to it over the last couple of years, but that is over now. Get your butt on a plane and get yourself in the office, right? So that's the first thing that would do. The second thing is reconfirm everything that you've heard from the CTO or anyone else within the organization, within this potential champion, this potential rising star champion, and say, here's here's the state of the nation. Here's what I understand. Is this correct? And are you responsible for solving these things? Great. Do you want to solve these things? Do you care about these things? And then if you do, great. Let's sit on the same side of the table. That's important. You're on the same team. Teamwork makes the dream work. There's no doubt about it. And that person doesn't have to have your badge. They can have a badge at the company, right? But they're still on your team coming together as a partner and then scoping out what a successful POC would be. And I can't iterate that enough. What a successful POC would look like. Anyone can run a POC. It doesn't mean that it's going to have the economic output and benefits or the positive business outputs that everyone is looking for. And so mapping that through a BVA, right, a, a business value assessment before you even kick off the technical POC work is extremely important. There's two things that you must do when you do that. You must partner with your champion on what the potential economic benefits are, and then you must confirm with the economic buyer, the person who's actually going to authorize the budget and sign the check, should this be successful, you must meet with them before to confirm everything that has been outlined before any work is done. 
Now, that obviously is the ideal state. It doesn't always happen that way. Sometimes you meet the economic buyer sort of midstream, and then that's okay too. Don't get me wrong. But if you don't have the clear business case outline before you've done the pilot, the POC, whatever you want to call it, right, you are setting yourself up for a lot of work and potential failure six, you know, nine, 12 months down the road. Because we all know enterprise sales are not a one call close. Let's create some segments in this enterprise sale. Let's say that we're working through a 12-month sales cycle. That might be a faster sales cycle in some of these deals that you're describing. How many months are spent trying to just find the champion versus building what you call the BVA versus doing a POC versus just being stuck in vendor review for the next 17 years? If we were to chop it up into chapters, what would that look like in a year? You want to eat the elephant one bite at a time. And what I mean by that is once you've identified who your champion is, right? And so what is a champion? It's someone who's willing to basically sponsor a meeting with the economic buyer. It's someone who's willing to tell you confidential information about how to get the deal done, right? It's someone who's selling on your behalf when you're not there. And it's someone who's going to tell you information about the sort of decision criteria or like what it what it takes to get this thing to close, right? And so once you've identified the champion, you take a small bite with a POC that shouldn't last more than, I mean, it depends on the context of what you're selling, 30 days to 60 to 90 days at the most, right? It it shouldn't take that long to prove out the value of the scope of the POC. And from there, the agreement is that is an initial contract. Now, that initial contract can be 50K, 100K, 250K, right? You're not going after the entire business right away. But what you are doing is you're establishing an MSA or an ESA at that point. You're getting through legal review and you're becoming, like you said, an official vendor so that you're now an approved vendor. Once you've done that and you've landed, right, I'm a big believer in the land and expand. You cannot eat, again, the whole elephant at once. You need to land and expand. But once you've landed, then here's what you do. You get an internal case study written that is metrics-based, that is private and confidential, so they will give you all of the ROI metrics. The challenge with public case studies is they can generally be vague, right? Eh, you know, they helped us save a bunch of hours or, you know, we were able to remarket it, you know, re create a lookalike audience and retarget this and it increased our revenue. But by how much? What was the actual number? That's exactly what we did at IBM when I was at Segment is we had an internal case study and it had very specific metrics that were validated by the team that did the POC. And when the rest of the organization found out, wait a minute, you had an BP percentage, right, of increase of cross-sell in your business unit, and that led to X amount of revenue, wow, I want to do that too. It created a massive amount of FOMO. And the next thing you know, we had a big corporate-wide deal because they're looking at the numbers and saying, well, we had this gain on this business unit, right, in the last six months. And if we scale that to this, we're going to increase our bottom line by hundreds of millions of dollars per year. And I want some of that. But that's how you do it. You don't just go up there and go directly to the sea level and say, hey, we're going to do all these things for you. They're going to look back and say, prove it and show me the numbers. And so that's how you walk through that process. And that is a six to nine to 12 month process. And in the case, again, with really large enterprises, that can take two to three years. The key is to get paid along the way. 
Your time is not free and you must have a deal. You must have a fair economic exchange. Contracts must be in place so that when you do go to the chief digital officer, the chief financial officer, whatever it is, you're looking them square in the eye and saying, we're approved vendors. Your team has already given us this much money. We already have a solid MSA in place. Legal has been done. And Mr. or Mrs. CFO, all it takes is for you to just sign right here and all the benefits that this small team over here got, we can now scale that to your bigger corporation and you can report back to the street that you have improved EBITDA, that you have revenue growth year over year of XYZ. And oh yeah, by the way, we just did all the work for you. You just kind of have to sign right here. That's the key. Dude, this is brilliant. So essentially what you did is you chomped off a mid-market deal cycle outside of an enterprise whale to knock out all of the mud of vendor review and also get rid of the fear of how do I even know this thing is going to work at scale? So question for you, Chris, could you give the audience an example of if I wanted to create a bite-sized piece of the organization, what would that first land potentially look like? Yeah, yeah. We can use some examples from my current company, Ascend. We are in the process of working with what's known as institutional sort of agencies. And so institutionals basically have gone and bought 150, 200 different individual agencies, right? And they kind of roll them all up into one, right? There's also aggregators as well, some nuances there. But basically, let's take the institutional case. So we have a couple of institutional agencies, and they about have 150 different agencies, right? So we're going to them and saying, who are the folks that need to be the most innovative right now? right? Who are the ones that maybe be a little bit behind on some of their technology and need to leapfrog, right, into the modern sort of commercial digital space, right? Oh, I can think, I have a short list. That's these five right here. Great. We're just going to go after those five. We're going to get a deal with them. We're going to prove out the value with them. And then we're going to come back to you six or nine months or 12 months from now and say, hey, remember those, those three to five different sort of agencies that you know you recommended to us? Well, we actually partnered with them. We did a deal with them. And here's all the metrics. And here's all the value that we were able to provide for them. So now over the course of whatever it is, again, it could be six, nine, 12 months, right? We have been making money the entire time as well as been adding value the entire time because actually... Actions speak louder than words. That's why you get paid along the way. Money speaks, right? And if they're willing to write you a check, that is a signal. That is a litmus test that they value you and they want to do business with you, right? Now, in this case, they only want to do business with you in a, in a sort of a microcosm, right? It's sort of a land experience because they want to de-risk it and they don't want to chop off more than they can handle. And maybe they want to build some trust with it, with this particular vendor at this point, right? But you take that model and then you do all, you run all the metrics. You have to get the metrics. And then you turn around and say, this is what we've done with these five agencies. We've improved their business by X. We've increased their revenue by Y. We've improved their EBITDA by Z, right? We've done all of these great things that are positive business outcomes. And if you want to scale that to your 150 or 200 different agencies, we are now in a position to do that because we've proved that with your own people. Oh, and by the way, go ahead and call Charlie. Go ahead and call Susan, and they will tell you exactly what I just told you. That is the way to build up that groundswell, that credibility, so that you can go and then win and earn that business at the really corporate level or executive level. Chris, one of the things that I think is oftentimes challenging is when you have a solution sale or a sale that touches multiple departments or all these different use cases, 
if I think back to, I was a segment customer in the past, it's really hard to quantify the EBITDA impact of having data infrastructure and like making sure everything integrates together and all that stuff. And what's tough is your ability in this strategy to expand to the rest of the account is really hinging on your ability to quantify the return on whatever metrics they're trying to improve in that first POC or in that first land deal. So how do you make those metrics as real as possible when you're not necessarily a solution that is you help sales reps book X more meetings, which equals this much more pipeline? So outlining what the business case is before you even do any of that work is critically important so that you can qualify if you can even meet those metrics and have those performance, right? I'll give you another example. So when I was at Segment, we started with Intuit, we started with QuickBooks Self-Employed. And one of their metrics was how can they cross-sell QuickBooks self-employed to get more QuickBooks users and more Mint users. So it did require us to work with those other business units. Now, how do you measure from an economic standpoint, right? I'm a QuickBooks self-employed user, right? But now I'm a QuickBooks user as a result. And I've also signed up for Mint. Oh, and by the way, now I'm probably going to use TurboTax, right? What is the economic value of that? As a vendor, we have no idea what that is. Intuit has exactly the idea, or they know exactly what the value of that one person is, right? So you may not be able to have the specific metrics, but what you can do is you can give them the directional business case and let them insert their own numbers because they're not, they may not share that with you. But if you can tee it up to the point where, hey, all you have to do is insert your internal metric numbers here and you're going to get the output right? You've done the hard work for them to show, in this case, the cross-sell, right? And so that's not a direct impact to your point on EBITDA, but what that is a direct impact is the metrics that they care about from a cross-sell perspective. Was I able to take a QuickBooks self-employed user and convert them into now both a QuickBooks self-employed user and a mint.com user, right? And now that they're both of those users, now they're also a TurboTax user, right? That doesn't have a direct correlation into revenue from our perspective, but from their perspective, it does. And our job is not to impact those numbers because we don't have control over those numbers. Our job is to give them the opportunity to do that so that they can impact those numbers. Chris, something that you said earlier really stuck out to me. You said, hey, if I get an introduction to this rising star from the CTO, I'm getting on a plane and I'm going to meet them. I know there's a lot of reps listening to this show saying, okay, I'm flying to Atlanta to go meet with this person. Uh, Are we getting drinks? Are we getting coffee? Are we going to lunch? Am I going to go set up in their conference room and give a presentation? Am I supposed to just talk with them in the lobby? Talk to me if I'm a rep who's wants to go to my first in-person meeting in that scenario, what do I need to know? So you want to do a bunch of prep beforehand and absolutely either do drinks or dinner or lunch, but hey, I'm going to be in town. Let's grab lunch. And then, hey, by the way, who else is on your team? Who do you think this is relevant to? And here's the agenda topics. Here's what I was hoping to talk about. Does this agenda look right to you? Because if it does, then I'll make sure I bring all the appropriate folks to the meeting. I'll bring all the appropriate material. I'll make sure I customize our conversation so that it's appropriate and we you know, make the best use of time. You have to meet them in person to really understand 
are we making an impact on the relationship? Are we actually solving the problem for this person? And what is the read of the room? Are we jovial? Are we laughing? Did I make a joke and nobody laughed because they're only there because their boss told them to be there? Or are they laughing at my joke and they're they're in alignment with what I have to offer, right? And we're gelling. We're, we're developing a relationship. And so you want to spend the majority of the time getting to know the person. More importantly, them getting to know you, right? Know that you're a real person, that you have kids, you have challenges in your life, you're a real human, and you have emotions as well. And let them understand that you're there, yes, because you're trying to sell them a product, right? But you're more so there because you're trying to solve a solution and understanding if there's alignment. And I can't stress that enough. It's you are not there just to sell. You are there to uncover if the solution that you offer aligns with the problems and challenges that they're trying to solve. And if so, can you work together to solve those and then have a fair economic exchange? So I would say 70, 80% is, you know, again, building rapport. But you do want to bring up like, hey, just not for nothing. How was that meeting? Or what should we expect for the meeting that we have coming up? And what do you really care about? What do you want to learn? You know, we've talked about this, that, and the other thing. Are we still in alignment? I mean, are we still sort of heading in the right direction? By the way, feel free to say no. If this is not something that you want to do, that's okay too. I enjoy meeting you. I really enjoy building my network and getting to know more people. I hope you enjoyed meeting me. We don't have to do business together and you have a license and you have permission to say no at any time in this process. And you say that to somebody over lunch. I mean, it, it, it is, a, I've seen people's body language just go from tension to, oh, thank God he said that, right? Because now I can be me and I can be free. And by the way, you end up closing those deals anyways, because your solution is the right fit for them, right? But you've given them the ability to back away at any time. And you've done it in a very non-confrontational or very sort of like warm environment that creates that interpersonal connection that you're looking for. It is truly amazing what a a change in venue going from the office to a lunch does for uh, facilitating transparent conversation. And speaking of a change in venue, we're running out of time, so we got to change the venue of the type of questions I ask. Anyways, we got to move to the final question. And the final question is this, Chris. We've talked about a lot of really great things salespeople should be doing. Now I got to ask you about and shouldn't. And so the final question is what is one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that you think they need to break because it hurts them more than it helps? When the sun rises in Africa, it doesn't matter if you're the lion or the gazelle, you better start running your butt off. Too many reps get complacent. Now, they either get complacent because they're doing really, really well and they don't need to work that hard, or because they're really behind and they don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Either way, you have to maintain a constant sense of urgency because not only will you respect yourself more, but your bank account will thank you for it. Phenomenal. Chris, Thank you for joining us. Everybody stick around for a 60-second recap coming up soon. Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you want to save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent. It'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with Demandbase, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto reminders for everything. If I expect 
any reply from a prospect, I press command H and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox. If I don't get a reply in two days, that means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time, every time you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them. Your top four takeaways from this episode with Chris Surdy include number one, figure out your champion's motives that might be aligning to their business motives, might be aligning to their financial or bonus motives, or maybe even feeling like they're going to ink their next promotion, but figure out what's going to get them moving. Number two, if they're not moving, you might try the sandwich sale. Combine the groundswell at the bottom of the organization with the executive momentum at the top of the organization to squeeze the middle managers into action. Number three, ask your executive, who's your rising star? They'll oftentimes point you to the person who is most likely to be ecstatic about what you're doing and drive your deal forward with the most velocity instead of dragging their feet. And lastly, number four, land a deal for 50 to 100K, get paid as you go, and then build an internal business case off of that deal to expand and win the rest of the account. Nick, how could people help us out here? I want you folks to open up your podcast player and go to this show's show notes because if you didn't know, Sometimes we put together things you can steal, aka email templates, call scripts, planning guides that you can immediately use, just like the stuff on this show, and we do it with our sponsors. And so the best way to support 30 Minutes to President's Club is to go take the stuff that's actually going to help you sell more effectively, and it lets our sponsors know that human beings actually listen to 30 Minutes to President's Club, and that's how Armand and I pay our rent. So thanks for listening. Go download some stuff. We'll see you next week on the show. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90-Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes.
Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you want to save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent. It'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with Demandbase, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes.